We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America. I had a great time catching up with Charlie Brennan. If you missed that, you can go to the podcast and check it out there, the Overnight America podcast, linked online, or better yet, the radio.com rewind. Joining us for this hour, I'm so excited to talk to someone that created something that has brought so much laughter to the world. The brain behind Comedy Central, and the book is called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Art Bell joins us on Overnight America. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. Thanks for having me. What a story. So it's uh, interesting (laughs) to think the early days when all of these different channels started to pop up. I know there's been a lot of attention on ESPN. Everyone loves to hear the origin story of ESPN or CNN and some of these big cable networks. But from my childhood growing up in the 90s, it was Comedy Central. I loved Comedy Central. So to be able to learn more about how it all started was just so fascinating to me. And I think at the start of the story for you, it was in the late 80s. Yeah, in the late 80s. I was at HBO. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was surprised at that point, having been in the television business for a few years, that there was no comedy network. I couldn't figure it out. And I talked to some people at HBO about it, and they said, nah, it's not a good idea. And that, that crushed me because I loved comedy. There was an all-music channel. There was an all-sports channel. There was an all-news channel. Why not an all-comedy channel? But there wasn't one. Right. The early years of Comedy Central, one of my very first shows that were my favorite shows was Dr. Katz. Um, And I don't remember what year that started, but that That was was 1994, I think. 94. Yeah. Yeah, So what what year did the Comedy Central Network actually launch? Well, Comedy Central itself launched 1991. But what happened is HBO, where I was, I pitched the idea of an all comedy network uh, in 88 and was told it was a stupid idea by the head Mm -hmm. of programming at at HBO, which was a little bit, you know, unsettling. She said, you know, who would watch a 24-hour comedy network? And no decent comedian would be on. You know, Robin Williams is not going to be on the thing. And why would HBO risk its reputation on putting together a comedy network? She basically threw me out of her office. Uh, But, you know, I knew she was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I just kept thinking about it and wondering how I was going to get it started. So um, as luck would have it, I was taken into the chairman's office, Michael Fuchs, by my boss's boss, 
because he heard I was thinking about this. And he said, come on, let's go see the chairman. And without any presentation materials or any pitch materials or anything, uh, and no preparation, I pitched the chairman of HBO on, on my idea for a comedy network. And he said, huh, sounds interesting. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. That, then HBO, six months later, launched the Comedy Channel. Now, the, mm-hmm. when we announced that we were going to launch the Comedy Channel, we had a big press conference in L.A. A day later, MTV Networks put out a press release saying, oh, yeah, we're going to launch a Comedy Network, too. Mm-hmm. And that was the competition. I was, you know, it, it snuck up on me. I, I figured, look, a year ago, there were no comedy networks. Suddenly, there's going to be two. But we got out in front. We, uh, we had a six-month lead, and then, and then the other comedy network launched. Their comedy network was called Ha. But by the end of that year, the, um, you know, we had been fighting for audience and advertisers and everything else. And the powers that be said, look, this is not going to last, so we're going to merge the channels. Now, that was hmm. – you, you think about how crazy that was for two channels that were going against each other, and it was Time – HBO and MTV Networks, which were competitors, for them to actually get together and say, okay, we're going to merge the channels was remarkable and took me completely by surprise. I thought we were wow. winning the war. I thought Comedy Channel was the better channel. But there it was. We were merged. And uh, I have to say that getting those two channels together, and of course that became Comedy Central a couple of months later, that was almost harder than launching the channel originally. Huh. When I remember the early years, too, there had to have been a lot of integration with HBO because they had a lot of the comedy stand-up specials that would air on Comedy Central. If I remember, you would see the HBO time, whatever they show at the end of the episode to show who produced it or whatever. And there was a lot of those stand-up comedian acts that were on there. And I'm trying to remember the early, early days, what the programming looked like. So when the channel was first launched, what did programming look like? Well, the whole idea of first launching the channel, and this was kind of the secret to getting people to buy into it, was we were going to use short-form comedy, clips from stand-up comedy uh, shows, clips from movies, you know, taking the best scenes uh, and the funny scenes, funny scenes from sitcoms, short comedies that were made throughout, you know, the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. I mean, we were going to get our hands on every kind of short comedy, short-form comedy we could. And we were going to string that together. And the good news about that is most of the clips that we got were going to be promotional. We could use them on a promotional basis, and we didn't have to pay for them. So all we had to do was find them and, you know, cut them out and kind of manufacture them and just put them into the program. And that was our plan. Unfortunately, the plan got completely thrown out about eight weeks before we launched. And the reason is because we had permission from you know, from all the power in Hollywood to go ahead and do that, including the Directors Guild. And at the last minute, the Directors Guild called and said, look, we just had a board meeting. We decided we don't want you to use those clips. And so you're out of business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Imagine my disappointment. Um, yeah, no kidding. So we went to Plan B, and we, you know, we did take a lot of HBO's comedy programming. Uh, and we also had some long-form programming, which was good, Mystery Science Theater 3000, Oh, was on the yes. channel almost from the moment we launched. I mean, that was, that was, um, it was lucky we found it. 
I have all these memories when I was younger. See, I was born in 83, so I would have mm-hmm. been 10, 11. And I remember my parents, We this is the routine we'd have on the weekends. We'd drive through A&W, and I would get a uh, hamburger and a root beer float, and we'd come home, and I would watch the Ben Stiller show and Kids in the Hall on Comedy Central. I remember yeah, watching the these hall. things. Oh, and there was so much great programming on there. I remember that one summer, the SPF 100. It was a great little jingle to it. And just the, the way that it marketed itself was so different than the other channels. I just really enjoyed it. I liked the stand-up. I remember watching the old Tim Allen stand-up some nights and just <laughs> laughing yeah, right. and laughing. There were some of these great, great specials that were on there. And it was a special network. And it's funny you mentioned these short-form comedy bits. You're about 20, 25 years earlier because that's exactly what satellite radio does with all their comedy channels now. That's the, that's the exact uh, strategy. Yeah, I know. And, you know, YouTube, there's a lot of that stuff on YouTube now, too, where people take their, their favorite scenes from uh, from a comedy movie and put it on YouTube, and people watch the short version of that scene. And uh, it's amazing that that yeah. way of consuming television is still in existence. Yeah. Author Art Bell. He's the author of Constant Comedy. It's a memoir. How I started Comedy Central and lost my sense of humor. Do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to talk to you more about the early years of Comedy Central. Sure. I want to talk about some of the shows that you guys worked with, what happened when you launched and just really, I I love stories like these. So we'll continue with Art Bell next on Overnight America KMOX. Weekday mornings at 8.30, Charlie Brennan and Amy Marks Kors provide perspective on KMOX and KMOX.com. He is the author of Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Art Bell, thank you again for coming on to KMOX. No, it's great. I'm glad I'm here. So it's the start of the network, and we talked a little bit about the programming. What was your role at the network at that time? Well, at the very beginning, I mean, it's interesting. Before I started it, I was at HBO, and I was a business analyst. I was really a financial analyst, and I had gone to HBO because I wanted to try and get into the television business. I had no programming background. I had no comedy chops. I just loved comedy. I thought comedy was great. I, I was a comedy nerd as a kid, you know, listen to all the albums and, and, and watch comedy on TV. So, and <clears throat> I got to HBO and finally got them to say, okay, we're going to launch a channel. When we launched, I was uh, made vice president of programming and was one of a group of people who was in charge, who were in charge of putting the programming together. But in fact, I was more than that because it was my concept for the channel. So I was really kind of in charge of marketing as well. And I was involved with the advertisers. And I was really kind of, um, especially for the first, for the first uh, six months to a year, I was the guy that everybody went to and said, what are we doing now? What are we going to do now? Now, I will say that what I wasn't was a comedy business guy. I didn't know anything about the comedy business. As a matter of fact, when I started a comedy channel, I was teamed up with a guy named Stu Smiley. You mentioned those great, um, those great one-hour specials that, uh, that HBO were doing with all, all the terrific comedians. Um, Stu Smiley was the head of comedy programming. Now, this guy had been in the comedy business for 10 years. I mean, he knew, he knew the comedians personally. He knew you know, all their agents. He knew the managers. He knew how the business works. He, he knew how to find them. And the first thing he said to me is, what do you know about comedy? <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, the guy's right. I don't know anything about the comedy business. But 
remember I was trying, you know, I was, I was happy to get a comedy, uh, network going and i was even happier when they gave me a job you know that wasn't a sure thing i sold them yeah. the whole thing i told them how i thought they should do it did a lot of the spade work on it and then they luckily they made me vice president of programming um and uh i got to help put it together put the programming yeah. together so so you mentioned the book was Stu was that his idea to put the daily show together when you started talking about original programming no, the Daily Show, interestingly, didn't come in until 1996. Now, the, remember, the channel became Comedy Central in 91. Stu was no longer with the channel. When they hmm. merged the channels, they fired most of the people at my channel, at Comedy Channel, and most of the people at Ha. And they put me together with the head of programming at, at Ha, and they said, okay, you two guys are in charge of figuring out how to put a new channel together from, you know, the pilot programming here and the pilot programming there. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it's called. You figure it out and try and get it launched in a couple months. And that's what happened. So I, I was meeting this guy for the first time. I had never met him. Remember, he was my mortal enemy, sort of. I mean, you know, mm. it was business, not, not actually war. But, you know, we were fighting these guys for market share and to be the prevailing comedy network. Suddenly, he's my partner. And suddenly, mm. I'm relying on him, and I guess to a certain extent, he's relying on me, to, to get this new comedy network started out of the ashes of the other two. So uh, Stu was, uh, Stu Smiley was as... As central as he was to the launch of Comedy Channel, HBO, he wasn't involved at Comedy Central at all because he just said, they just said, okay, you go back to your day job at HBO as a, as a comedy executive. And believe mm. me, Stu went on to great things. He, he produced um, Everybody Loves Raymond, among other, among other things. Uh, wow. he's, uh, he was quite a, a force in, in Hollywood after that. But my point is, he was not involved. I see. Um, the shows that were developed in the five or six years I was there, I, I left in 1996. So I was there for the first basically eight years from the start of the thing. Mm -hmm. um, Daily Show started, started in 95, 96. And it, originally it wasn't Jon Stewart. You may not remember that. It was Craig Clare. No, I remember it. Who, who was it? His name? His name was Craig you Kilborn. just said that. It was yeah. Claiborne? Claiborne? Is that right? Yeah, Kilborn. Yeah, I remember him doing it. Yeah, and I remember, the only reason I remember that is because sometimes uh, I think they paid homage to him, and I don't know if he filled in sometimes, like they did a special with him here or there. So I remember him coming up every once in a while before uh, when they were talking about the early years of that, or they'd show archival footage or something like that. Yeah, yeah, he was the first, he was definitely the first host, but he didn't, he wasn't there for too long. I don't know exactly. I don't remember exactly. Maybe six months. But um, the producers who were producing The Daily Show weren't all that happy with him. And they asked Jon Stewart if he would do it. Jon Stewart had originally been on Comedy Channel when I started. And we, he, was, he was the host of a show you may remember called Short Attention Span Theater, which was um, <laughs> a terrific show, mostly because Jon was the host. I mean, even then, he was he was a... When we hired him, he was unknown as a comic. I mean, he'd done some stuff, but it was really his first job on television. And I remember watching him on the first first few days after we launched and thought, man, this guy's good. Not only – he wasn't only funny. He was like, you know, intelligent, sensitive, <laughs> empathetic. I mean, he really, he, he really connected 
with with the audience, and uh, we all know he was going to be great. But he left. He left uh, and went to MTV after um, the merger uh, because MTV uh-huh. knew he was good too, and they said, "Okay, great, we'll we'll do a show for you over here, and we'll pay you a lot more money." So he went there, but then he was lured back to Comedy Central to do the uh, to do the Daily Show, and the rest is history. Right? Wow. So what was the very first original program for Comedy Central that you started to produce? Well, that would be MST 3000. I mean, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. Uh, it's a great story behind that. We were trying to figure out what kind of shows to, uh, to produce. And the head writer, yes, Comedy Channel had a head writer. The head writer said, you know what we need? We need a show where comedians are sitting in front of a TV or in front of a movie watching television and making jokes because that's what comedy guys do. They do it all the time. And uh, we all said, Oh, sounds like a great idea. So we started to put together that show. And then literally like a few days later, somebody walks in to the office and he says, this, this tape just come came in the mail. You got to see this, put the tape in. It's mystery science theater 3000, which is Joel Hodgson and his two robot Mm -hmm. friends watching movies and making fun of them. It's like, it was a gift from God. I said, I'm like, we didn't even have to do this show. And here it is. So we, got on a plane the next day, got out to Minneapolis where they'd been producing the show at a local television station for fun and uh, <laughs> made the deal. And you know something? That was before the channel launched. And I was, you can imagine, I was um, excited but nervous, you know? I mean, there was a lot of pressure on me to, to make sure this thing was going to actually end up working, uh, which I was hoping it would and sort of knew it would. But when I saw Mystery Science Theater 3000 come in the door all by itself, you know, when they and the letter said, hey, we heard you're launching a comedy network. We thought you might be interested in this. I said, OK, this is a good sign, because I always expected that innovative comedy that would find a home nowhere else. I mean, look, NBC wasn't going to put that on the air, right? Mm-hmm. Would come to comedy, would come in a comedy channel. And, and that's exactly what started happening. So that was that was the first for me, the first sign that this thing could really work. Wow. So did you feel pressure that every decision you made could be a make or break for you and the network at any given time? You know, I I know this is going to sound kind of bizarre, but I thought a lot less about me and a lot more about just making the thing successful. Um, Mm -hmm. Remember, by the time we launched, there were a couple hundred people working on it. uh, And I wasn't even the most senior person. You know, I was pretty young then. As I said, I didn't know much about comedy. Luckily, I got a job. But I did feel the pressure. Um, You know, Stu Smiley, once again, um, would see me in the halls as we go by and go, hey, there's the guy with the big idea. You know, I mean, that's, (laughs) I disrupted a lot of lives, you know. I brought all these people together (laughs) to do this comedy network, and nobody was 100% sure it was going to work. And least of all me. I mean, I knew it would eventually. That was my hope and my dream. But yeah, it was, it was, I felt it personally as pressure in a way that I had never felt in a job before or since, or since. It's amazing. Um, I, it's amazing to think that you could be in Minneapolis putting a show together at a local station like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Then all of a sudden a network comes flying out to talk to you to be on their uh, on their network. So comedian wise, who was the first uh, original stand up that you signed for Comedy Central? Did you do any original stand up outside of the ones that were for HBO or primarily was the mothership HBO and then you would use it from there? 
No, you know, HBO didn't have a whole lot. I mean, there was some crossover on the product, but HBO, the, the specials HBO was doing with Robin Williams and, and Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg, you know, the, really the A-list talent, those were um, terrific, first of all, very highly produced, but they were uncut. You know, they were not uh, something we could play in their entirety on basic cable television. We had advertisers. And the advertisers were not too fond of bad language and some of the subject matter that those guys were dealing with. So those things weren't really accessible to us. Occasionally, we'd take a piece of something uh, if we had a chance. Um, we did do original. Um, <laughs> listen, you know something? I, I will interject here. Think about what it takes to program 24 hours of comedy a day for the rest of your life. That's what we were facing with. And I, honestly, I didn't realize what a daunting proposition it was until the first day when we launched and we put all the stuff we could find on <laughs> and it filled the 24 hours. And the next day, now what are we going to do? You know, So it was a never ending battle trying to find, you know, trying to find comedy, by the pound, as my boss used to say. You know, we have to find comedy by the ton. Um, so we would find, um, we bought stand-up comedy uh, shows that had been made. I don't know if you remember A&E did a show called uh, A&E at the Improv, which, hmm. which was a half hour in front of the brick wall, two-camera shoot, Anybody who, not quite anybody, they booked it, but, you know, sort of lower level, just starting out comedians or maybe some mid-level comedians. Um, and everybody was on it. I mean, they did, they did five comedians a half hour and they'd been doing it for a few years and they ended up with thousands of hours of this tape. But they weren't really a comedy network. And we went to the guy who was producing it and we said, you know, how can we get our hands on some of that? He goes, well, you know, A&E doesn't own it. I own it. So we ended up getting a lot of that stuff and some of the stuff he didn't use. Uh, and then he started shooting for us. So we found sources of stand-up comedy like that. Um, and that was, that was very important to us uh, because, wow. we, as I said, we had a lot of programming to do. Lots of hustling going on. As Kevin Colleen, who's a news reporter here at KMOX, would talk about the news cycle. He said it's like a wood chipper. You're constantly trying to feed it. And it's just you throw it in and it's it's chewed up and then you got to keep feeding it, keep feeding it. That's what it's got to feel like trying to program a network from the ground up. Um, Art Absolutely. Bell is the author of uh, a new memoir called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Do you mind holding on after the break? I'd love to talk more about this. That'd be great. Now, if people wanted to find your book or find you, where can they go? Well, my book's available on Amazon uh, or at your local bookstore. And uh, if they want to find out more about me uh, or the book, they can go to artbellwriter.com. That's my website. I've got some other writing on there and stuff like that. Great. Constant Comedy is the memoir. We'll continue with Art Bell next on Overnight America KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. It's a book you're going to want to check out if you have memories of Comedy Central when the early years were hitting in the 90s. It's a fascinating tale to learn what was going on behind the scenes. And author Art Bell joins us. Memoirs called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Art, thank you again for spending the hour with us here on Overnight America. That's my pleasure. I remember when I was in eighth grade, maybe I told the teacher that my favorite television show was Dr. Katz, professional therapist on Comedy <laughs> Central. Yeah. And the teacher called my parents because they thought, oh, Comedy Central, some, you know, dirty cable network. But they didn't really realize there was the show was innocent. You know, I thought it was hilarious myself. And I, uh, I always remembered that because I got called out by a teacher who really didn't know much about it. So I'm curious with those early years uh, when you started to launch and get into it. Were you guys making money? Were you getting ratings on the channel? Well, by the time we got, had Dr. Katz there, that was, you know, as I said, 95, just before The Daily Show went on, we, we had sort of started to get some traction. We had audience, we had advertisers, and we, we realized that our audience was starting to be made up of guys like you and a, a little older. I mean, you know, we, mm-hmm. we started thinking yeah. of ourselves as uh, a channel for young, edgy comedy. And that's the audience we're getting now. You know that advertisers have a real hard time getting young people, um, you know, especially young men. The fact is we were getting them. So we started to, you know, really make an impression and really make some money around that time. I'll tell you, though, the first few years, there wasn't much money, wasn't much audience, and the critics hated us. So it was, and and the reason we we survived at all was because of guys like you. Because we would go to a meeting with advertisers, right? And the advertisers say, ah, you know, we don't really get this channel, this comedy. No, we don't understand. Well, I watch it; it looks terrible. It exists. But my kids seem to love it, you know. And and then we thought, oh, all right. So we are actually getting some audience, um, and it's a younger audience. And that you know, we just started started really playing more to that younger audience. Wow. And I love the logo. The logo was beautiful. Whoever drew that, um, mm, I, I don't know. There was something special about the way the Globe and Comedy Central with the buildings up on top. I always liked that. Um, oh, thanks. You know, that was, pleasing. that was my favorite logo, too. I remember when it came in the door, it was actually done by the MTV Networks guys. And they, we were trying to find somebody to do the logo. And they did that just as like kind of a demo. They said, now, we don't really think this will be the logo, but this is the kind of stuff we might want to do. And we said, hey, we love that. What's wrong with that? And so, (laughs) you know, that became our logo. And it went through some iterations, too. But I I think you're right. I think there was a terrific logo for the channel. Oh, yeah. I I can't remember. Was early on, did you guys run uh, reruns of the Tracy Ullman show? 
Uh, we did, we did, and I'm trying, you know, don't ask me what year that was. Listen, yeah. if it was comedy and we could get our hands on it, we ran it. I'll tell you what the big rerun um, score for us was. That was Saturday Night Live. You know, huh. Lauren, Lauren, Lauren Michaels had not let Saturday Night Live out of his sight. They played it once on NBC. Maybe they'd play a rerun in the summer. And then they threw it in the basement. Nobody touched them. And we went to Lauren uh, and asked if he'd be interested in, you know, in licensing them to, to comedy. And his first response was no. But then he said, OK. But remember, that was in the early days. It was Comedy Channel and Ha. And Ha came in on top of us and started a bidding war. Don't you don't I, I don't remember exactly what they went for. But, man, Lauren Michaels had a terrific day that night when we finished that <laughs> that that uh you know that process because they went for a lot of money and the irony is ultimately they ended up with us anyway you know because the, the channels merged but we we played the sprockets off of saturday night live uh <laughs> especially early in the early in the channel because as you pointed out you got you're constantly loading stuff in there especially when you're doing daytime as well you know, that's a lot of comedy you got to program. So that that wow. came in handy. That was a big library for us. Yeah, I seem to remember that they were on E and not Comedy Central. I, maybe that was later on. They must must have switched networks from the really early shows. We got them first. I, you know, maybe E got them later, uh, which is certainly possible. I mean, once once they were out there. You know, they they sort of probably traveled around a little bit. Um, yeah. But, no, we, we made a big deal about having them first. And we actually got to work with some of the Saturday Night Live people. as a, That was a bonus. Um, Al Franken was a writer and performer in those days uh, for Saturday Night Live. Uh, you may recall him as going on to the Senate and then leaving yeah. the Senate. Yeah, <laughs> we remember that. Um, but he's actually he was actually kind of an interesting guy and and very funny and and fun to work with. And he he worked with us on on quite a few things. Um, wow. Yeah, I remember and, he had a network show that was short lived, and I can't remember if it was like a TV network or a newspaper or something like that. But uh, uh, I also remember. Uh, going back to those days, was Dana Carvey doing stand-up specials for Comedy Central? Dana Carvey, I don't recall him doing anything specifically for us, um, unless he did maybe a stunt. Like we, we would get some of the bigger comics, and uh, when we would do marathons, say we do a Saturday Night Live marathon, we might get get Dana to come on and say, "Hey, you're watching Comedy Central. This is a marathon. It's you know back to back." Saturday Night Live for the next two days, you know, whatever we were doing. Um, so we did that. Actually, we got, I remember getting Jerry Seinfeld. That was before his show was on. We got mm -hmm. Jerry Seinfeld to host a an Abbott and Costello marathon for us. <laughs> oh, and the interesting cool. thing about that is if you talk to Jerry Seinfeld about where he got his idea for the show, it was from the Abbott and Costello show. I mean, he, that, was, wow. that was a big source of, of, uh, of the concept for him. Because it was a show about nothing, um, and he loved wow, it. Wow, what what part of history? It's amazing when you have those type of backgrounds. You can go back and look all these different comedians and all of these great things that they've done. Somehow interweaved with a channel that at one point said it would never work, and there you are making it work. And and look what everything that's grown from it. It's really amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. You know, there's nothing more gratifying than to look in your rearview mirror after your career and see that something you made a long, long time ago still standing and thriving, which is, which has been nice for me. You know, I really, 
I'm really glad. So your time was there up until 96. What happened around that time where you left the network? Well, in 96, I was, uh, I'd been head of programming, head of marketing, and um, they brought in, they, they fired my boss. My boss was the president, and he was a finance, finance guy, basically. Um, and the board decided they didn't want a finance guy in charge anymore, so they bought, brought in somebody else who was a programmer, more of a programmer, uh, and he came in and he basically brought all his own people in and knocked everybody else out. So the top level of management, including me, was just, you know, we were fired, which was, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, uh, a devastating blow to me because I, as I mentioned earlier, I, this was a very personal situation for me you know this is this was a personal channel you know i i, I felt like i made it from the beginning i'd worked on it and as a matter of fact when the guy when the guy fired me he said look you know your fingerprints are all over this thing i can't have you here anymore <laughs> and i thought wow. huh. so i did something right and I'm, I'm getting thrown out and look in retrospect why should I have expected to stay there for you know for thirty years? Um, but it was it was a bad day for me. Let me let me say that, and I uh, and I was devastated at the time. But uh, you know, went on to put my career together and and had a fun time working at some other channels and putting some other channels together. After that, um, yeah. that that was that was sort of the last of the comedy that I did. And it was interesting because I got into that because of comedy, because I, I loved comedy as a kid so much. And I really, I, I really wanted to create a channel that would be, you know, would honor comedy that, that would, that would sort of celebrate comedy, you know, where you could have Jerry Seinfeld talking about Abbott and Costello, where you could have a sense of the history of comedy and what it was built on. Um, and uh, I, I really felt that I was, you know, I was successful at that. I really felt that the channel had, had been successful at that and really become a center for comedy, attracting the best talent, the most innovative comedy shows. And look, after I left, it kept going. You know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying we were the golden years. We did a lot of interesting, innovative stuff that, uh, that I think made a difference. You know, I know exactly what you mean, because I think people in broadcasting, in radio or television, whatever it is, if you're someone that does a show, you invest so much of your own self into it because you want to make it personal. When you have this creation of something that you've done and then it gets taken away or it's gone and one day you're fired, you take that rejection very personally because it's such it's so interweaved into everything that you've done. And it's like your self-worth takes a hit and, you know, and it takes a while to to understand all of these things that it's just a business and it's also the business side of things, but it's so difficult because you're just so into it. It's so, it's just so part of you. That's exactly right. And it was the first time I'd ever been fired. And I, I actually talk about this at the end of the book. Um, I, I thought people got fired because they did something wrong or they were bad at their jobs. or You know, they were, they were screw ups. Um, and he, now suddenly I, I was made to understand that's not the, necessarily the case because i didn't screw up i hadn't done anything wrong i'd done a lot of things right it was just the situation so i started you know the first thing i did when i got fired uh after i got fired you know i i i went to talk to a lot of other people i knew in the industry or people set me up with other people in the industry to see you know what what i was going to do next and one guy he was the head of a record company uh i didn't know him but he he said something to me that was very interesting he said look if you're if you're at a company and you were doing something 
some interesting things. And you don't get fired once in a while. It just means you weren't doing interesting things. I mean, the people who get fired are often the people who are doing, you know, taking a stand or putting themselves out there or, or taking a chance. So he said, you know, lots of people get fired in this business. And he was right. Um, so just get your next job and get on with it. And that, that really kind of made me feel a little bit better. Oh, that's good. Uh, author Art Bell, his memoir is called Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Do you mind holding on for one more break? I'm good. All kinds of great places you can find this book, uh, Amazon, whatnot, Constant Comedy, or you can do a search for Art Bell author online. You can get links to it right there. We'll continue next on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. So the book is called Constant Comedy. It's a memoir, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. Art Bell is the author, and artbellwriter.com is a great location for you to get links to where you can get the book for yourself. I've really enjoyed this hour, Art. Thank you for doing this. Oh, me too. It's been my pleasure. So afterwards, uh, you leave Comedy Central. It's uh, getting to, what, 96, 97 in that area. What do you do after in your career? What do you follow up with? Well, as it turned out, I was, uh, I was hired by Court TV. Now, you may remember Court TV with the OJ trial and all that stuff. Yeah. Court TV was a failing channel. It was doing terribly, and they were actually going to sell it for scrap. It was owned by NBC and Time Warner and Cablevision. But before they did, they thought they'd give it one more chance. So they hired me, and they hired another guy, and they said, you guys figure it out. Um, and we did. We did. We put the channel back together. It was. It had about 25 million subscribers when we started. When we left, it had 86 million subscribers. Uh, eight years later, it sold to uh, to Turner Networks for about 1.6 billion dollars. So we had done our job. We, you know, we made a success of the channel by by putting a primetime lineup in there that was about crime and justice. So I went from comedy to crime and justice. And people <laughs> said, "Well, how did you actually do that?" And you know something. I found crime and justice fascinating. I thought it was lots of fun to program that. And I learned a lot about the criminal justice system and how things worked and making documentaries and doing news programming. So, you know, that was a that was a great next job for me. Uh, After that, I spent I spent time, you know, working for a bunch of different places. I I worked on uh, Panasonic's 3D television initiative. We put a 3D television channel for them as you can imagine that was not successful well you know what not imagine actually we all imagined it would be successful um but it wasn't successful (laughs) so people yes people did not want to wear the glasses and watch tv is what it came down to it's as simple as that but it was it was certainly a fascinating undertaking so i yeah i i did a lot of interesting things after that and now i'm writing i find that yeah uh, that writing is something I, I've always enjoyed, and now I'm doing it, and uh, pretty much full-time, and it's really fun. Oh, that is awesome to hear. What a time to write, too, during this quarantine. You probably get some <laughs> extra free time available for things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plenty of time to write um, and, and do other stuff. I, I, I play drums. I play piano. i got plenty of things to keep me busy. Uh, oh, I that's sure great. The, I, I sure wish this quarantine would pass. I sure wish it was, it was done already. 
So one last question, I, I think with the way digital media works, we have these independent networks like the Netflixes and the Amazon Primes and things where they create their own content and they, you know, curate content, things like that. You have YouTube where you have independent creators that are doing some really creative things. What do you think of the landscape of media today compared to when you started? Well, I, first of all, it's a golden age of television all over again. I mean, there's so much great programming being produced. The interesting question is, you know, I was reading, I was reading an article on television the other day, and uh, it was a critic, and, and she said, you know, basically all these things have recreated the 500 channels of cable, you know, 500 cable channels and nothing to watch, because you're constantly trying to figure out what what to watch. The advantage that we had in the old days when there were a few channels is people would tune in, say, to Comedy Central and say, well, I know these guys always provide great comedy, so I'll go there and I'll watch their comedy. Or they could go to HBO for movies and some, you know, some other stuff. Now it's, it's so, you know, um, it's rich with programming, hmm. but man, you got to really look around and you got to work hard to, to find the good stuff. It's not like somebody's curating it for you the way yeah. they did in the, in the old days. That's a good way to look at it. Now, again, the website is artbellwriter.com. It's on sale now. Constant Comedy, a memoir. How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. You can find it uh, where you sell books, anywhere locally or even online. i got to say, I've such enjoyed our time here tonight. Thank you so much for coming yeah, me on. Me too. Thanks. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank oh, this you is very great. much. Make sure to, if any of this interests you, go to artbellwriter.com. Some great links you can find on there with author Art Bell. This is Overnight America, KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Oh, 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 Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.